This week on the Playhead Podcast. Yeah, which is where literally it, it's all hell did break loose in the 12th century BC. Is that the, the tectonic uh, the, the year civilization collapsed or something like yes. that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Like that. Yeah. I've seen yeah. the, the I mean, YouTube presentation from the author of the book. I haven't had a chance to tackle the book itself. Well, the YouTube it's presentation. It's a wonderful book. Well, yeah, it's a great book. Is as he explains the tectonic plates across the Mediterranean from west to east literally unzipped in the fifty-year period. Wow! And as they unzipped, as they unzipped, you got earthquakes, floods, volcanoes, tsunamis, ash clouds, climate change, um, you know, famine, war, pestilence, death, uh, and not not to mention those mysterious people, the the sea peoples, right. oh, our favorites. <laughs> I have so many books on the Sea Peoples. Uh, one of them says they came from space. Uh, that's seriously, I have one from, from 19, 1977. This guy who looks, you look at his picture and you say, yeah, he would think that. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we have, Chris and I have both read a lot of scholarly works that say this is where we think they came from. This is their evidence. Nobody's a hundred percent certain, but a lot of people have kind of pegged it down to you know these are real. These aren't one people. These are a lot of people. So I see it's a, it's a mass movement all across the Mediterranean. Um, it's it's because it's been driven by everything. Every, because the whole world's collapsing. It's it's like uh, Mad Max with chariots. Stay tuned for our interview with the creators of ancient civilizations of the inner sea. Welcome to the Play Ed Podcast, where we explore cultivating connections through play. Hello and welcome to the Play Ed Podcast. I'm your host, Laura. And I'm Chris. And we are here to explore cultivating connections through play. So last week, we gave our review of ancient civilizations of the inner sea. Over the Labor Day weekend, we had the privilege of speaking with the game designers Mark McLaughlin and Chris Vorderbergi and game developer Fred Schachter, and we'll be presenting that interview in two parts so that we can keep this to a reasonable time. But first, we'd like to ask our listeners, if you are listening to us on Apple Podcasts or any podcatcher with a rate and review system, please rate and review us. It helps bump us up the rankings and helps new listeners find us. And however you're listening to us, please share on social media. Um, Using that little share link thingy makes it a lot easier for new listeners to discover us. Share link thingy, is that like the button or... There's usually a thing that looks like it's got a bubble and another bubble connected by a kind of sideways V. Oh, okay. I'll have to look for that the next time I'm on social media. Yeah. I don't know that I've ever seen those. I'm fairly sure you have. Oh, okay. Anyways... Very useful for being able to share episodes, create a link so that other people can uh, discover and listen to us. So, Chris, is there anything you'd like to say before I queue up the interview? No, not really. <laughs> Excellent. I, I, I think the I think the 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 interview was was great fun and um, uh, enjoyed being able to spend uh, a little bit of time talking with uh, Mark and Chris and Fred about gaming and about ACIS in particular and particular here particularly hearing some of their stories about the connections they've made with each other with other people in the industry and within their own families mm -hmm. uh, over their decades of playing games yeah 
Um, and it yes. was very encouraging and inspiring and just a wonderful experience. I hope I get an opportunity to sit down and, and play at the same table with them one of these days, sooner rather than later. Indeed. It was a very, it was a fun, fun conversation. And I hope that everyone else uh, enjoys it. So thank you. And without further ado, our interview with the creators of ACIS. I want to welcome everybody uh, to the call and thank you for sharing some of your Labor Day with us. Um, I'm Chris. My wife, Laura, is also here. Hello. Hello. Hello, Hello Laura. So um, for, um, I guess, to start, um, if each of you would just kind of briefly introduce yourselves so that we can introduce you to our listeners when we insert this into uh, the podcast we'll publish on ACIS later this month. Uh, that might be a good place to start. Mark, do you mind leading off? Um, actually, let's go with Fred because he's the oldest. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, gee. Yes, I guess I am. And I, uh, and I might add, I just recently retired from a 50-plus year business career. But uh, yes, my name is Fred Schachter. I am the, the game developer of Ancient Civilizations of the Inner Sea. And I have a partnership with Mark going back up, Mark, since uh, the Napoleonic Wars when we first met uh, all those years ago at a historic convention in Pennsylvania. Uh, and from there, we've had a, a good partnership. Uh, yeah. I'd like to make a kin that uh, while uh, Mark may be Grant, I'm his Sherman, or maybe he's Napoleon, <laughs> and I'm his Zavu. In any event, I have been in the hobby uh, since I was a teenager. I'm one of the founders of the venerable and, I guess, lamented by many SPI back in the days when I was a teenager doing a playtester. Wow. works in uh, the village in New York City. And again, folks who are interested from this podcast can look up my biography and learn more about my past. I've been the designing and developing games for many years, and uh, I'm not going to you know, take up people's time rattling up all the titles, but the ones, uh, of course, uh, I think germane to this podcast are the ones I've done with Mark and with Chris, and again, they go back to Napoleonic Wars version two, some that Mark and I did, uh, Kutuzov, Wellington, Rebel Raiders in the High Seas, uh, Hitler's Reich, and now more recently with Chris's great help, we've just published The Ancient Civilizations of the Inner Sea. I've worked with other designers as well developing games and i hope that is sufficient for an introduction to myself yeah thank well, you chris, Fred. Is, chris is next he's, he's senior to me oh gosh mark yes um, <laughs> my name is chris borderbergie and uh this is the second game mark and i have co-designed uh the first one was back in the 80s east wind rain and um i've been playing war games with my two brothers one older one younger since i can remember started off with little green army men and Played, uh, I think Parker Brothers published the Civil War game in Life magazine, and we cut it out and played it. Uh, Tactics 2, Avalon Hill. But what led to this game was a professor I took in at uh, Georgetown, uh, Professor Quigley's Development of Civilization. So it's been an interest of mine for a long time. Obviously played Avalon Hill Civilization, uh, Britannia, uh, History of the World, things like that. Uh, and then I read a book about uh, five or six years ago uh, called uh, – uh, the history of the inner sea, and it was the history of the Mediterranean. And 
I found that fascinating, and that led to the development of the game. Um, at one point, I developed it as far as I could, and you know, got Mark involved because I didn't know what to do with it since, and uh, so now we have it. Thank you. Okay, Thank you. Mark, your turn. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I mean, I started playing board games when I was a little kid, and I remember that Parker Brothers game and all the Milton Bradleys. And then in, uh, when I was in 13 years old, this guy in a Saturday morning class, we, it was military school, we had classes Saturday morning. His essay is about a game called Waterloo. Well, that was it, Avon Hill. And from then on, you know. Oh, wow. Uh, so, and and the, first, uh, the first game I had published um, was, was War and Peace, which is being redone now. And I, it was by accident. I wound up at, uh, I was, my wife and I had gone on our honeymoon, had come back, and my company had folded while I was gone, and my wife had, had quit her job because they had done something to her. And so I was unemployed for a few months. So I was, I was living in Maryland. I wrote to Avon Hill, and I said, can I just come up and see what you guys are doing up there? Because I'm a big fan of your games. I get up there, and I'm just you know, hanging around, talking to Greenwood and Shaw, and Tom Shaw invites me to lunch. So we go to the Holland House you know, down the street, having crab, wonderful Maryland crab. Still remember. And halfway through the, the thing, Shaw says, so what's this game idea you want to pitch us? I didn't have one. <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea. Between the middle, mid, middle of the main course, dessert and coffee, I came up with and pitched and, and, and got signed War and Peace. Wow. <laughs> totally. Purely right place, right time. And I get back home to my wife and I said, guess what? <laughs> <laughs> and Warm Peace was my Warm Peace was my first uh, paid design. And it literally paid the down payment on the first house my wife and I built. Wow. And Dickens Avenue. But I've been designing a game ever since. And um, Chris has been there every step of the way. He was a play tester and advisor on every single game I ever did. I've had 20, this is my 23rd published title. Chris has been there for all 23 of them, um, especially when it comes to anything naval. If you take a piece of paper and put a dot with a pen, a pen on it, that's what I know about naval history. Chris knows the rest of the paper. Wow. Uh, so, uh, and Chris and I both went to Georgia and we both took Professor Quigley. The one he alludes to wrote a history of the world, 900 pages from the year from the Big Bang to 1939 with one footnote, and that's the Bible because actually he wrote it. <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, so yeah, so but you know, but the Chris is, Chris came up with this beautiful idea for a game, and it just gelled, and because we're both old. Uh, Avon Hill Civ players were both computer games. I was, I was a play tester on the very first Civilization with Sid Meier. Um, so we've been, you know, doing that thing forever. Um, and we both paint and play miniatures. Uh, we're both big miniatures gamers. Cool. We both like a lot of ancient stuff. Yeah, I do uh, Field of Glory, and uh, right now I'm doing ancient, um, ADLG, it's called Art de la Guerre. I've, I have 2,315 millimeter ancient figures I painted myself. Chris has his, has a massive as well. I mean, uh, the two of us could redo the Peloponnesian Wars on a one-to-one -one scale. Uh, <laughs> which is also part of the thing about this, this game is this game just plays to the stuff we read. Uh, like I was talking to Mark Herman at GMT East two years ago, and we're, we're, we're throwing quotes at each other from Herodotus and Thucydides because he's got his Pericles game, I got this game, uh -huh. and I, which I paid Pericles this weekend, by the way. But wow. anyway, um, 
I, I could not have done this game without Chris. We are co-designers from the, the, the first word to the last uh, um, punctuation mark. And of course, in between the punctuation marks that Fred put in, because <laughs> Fred is an amazing developer. I look at something and I look at what I think I said. Fred looks at it and says, no, that's what it says. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're, we're, so we're, we're three musketeers and, you know, uh, we're, we're short of D'Artagnan, but, uh, you know, I think I get to be Porthos. <laughs> wow. I, I'm, I'm, I've got to say, I'm just thrilled to be talking with you guys because I'm having a huge fanboy moment. <laughs> As Mark and I discussed, Fred, I, I might I might add your analogy of the Musketeers, Mark. Maybe our fourth is Chad Jensen, who really, really did a wonderful job in editing oh, beautiful. the material for the for the game. Yeah, yeah, and and Chad uh, was sick while he was doing it, and since then he's gotten much worse. Uh, anybody who knows uh, Chad Jensen or knows GMT knows what's going on. Uh, the guy is literally fighting for his life right now. Uh, and he has a wonderful, supportive, beautiful uh, wife who's there every minute of the day for him. And we're all rooting for Chad. And, you know, he's making, he's actually making progress one small step every day. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm hoping to, to work with him again in the future for the rest of the series of, of these. Uh, Same yeah, here. I, here, here. Yeah. So, um, okay. Um, so who do you want to talk to next? So, um, wow. Uh, and thanks for mentioning Chad. I, I knew he had been involved, but I wasn't sure how much because of, of the, the illness. And yeah, we're, we're definitely, I've been following GMT's updates on that. So um, definitely hoping things get, get better for him. Um, just a, a brief few words about us. Um, our podcast is focused on um, parents and encouraging parents to play games, especially board games and card games, with their kids. Um, my wife and I are in our early 40s. We have six kids. We homeschool six them. Six kids? Six. Woo! So are you, Irish or, are you Irish or Italian? <laughs> Which side? <laughs> Heinz 57 American. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so uh, we use board games uh, as as a big part of our homeschooling. I I was first introduced to Avalon Hills Advanced Civ in middle school. Um, we had a copy of it set up in the back of one of the classrooms. Uh, I was in a very experimental school in Philadelphia. And while we were going through reading adaptations of Homer and Herodotus and Thucydides and um, learning Greek and Roman history and, and reading through Canterbury Tales in the Middle Ages, we had Advanced Civ as just this ongoing running game. And we'd play an hour or so after school, and then we'd play again on the weekends. And um, I, I played a lot of Civ, and from there it would just – I started getting into uh, some of the SPI games and more of Avalon Hill's output. And I, I got involved with, with playing Dungeons and Dragons at about the same time. So right as I hit early adolescence, games all of a sudden appeared that, that um, in many ways you guys were deeply involved with. <laughs> and I'm very <laughs> grateful for all of those hours of, of enjoyment. Yeah. And 
I'm sort of the primary educator here. And I, when we got married, he's like, I, I'm not sure how many bookshelves of games we actually have at this point, but when, but by the time we were talking about, and when we have kids, we're going to homeschool. And I'm like, uh, we're going to what? <laughs> but as we got into it, he realized that he was taking those memories of playing Civ in middle school and saying, yes, you read books with the kids and you do worksheets when you need to, but this is how I learned history. I started here with falling in love with these places and watching this movement of things and becoming familiar with these maps. And that's why I cared about wanting to go deeper and learn more. And it wasn't just something that I read last month and immediately filed out of um, short-term memory when I needed to pass the next test. So that's where we're coming from. And as a result, we have waited very impatiently for ancient civilizations of the inner sea to finally come out. And I've read through the developer diaries and um, we are so impressed. Uh, We were actually showing it off to some friends of ours uh, earlier today who are neighbors Um, and just the, the, the components and the, the clarity of the rule books uh, are really, really impressive. So where we kind of wanted to start um, is what uh, you, you've, you've mentioned the, the class you had at Georgetown that kind of got things going. What, what about that, that encounter with the professor and the way he presented um, that, that early um, ancient world material uh, inspired you guys? <laughs> well, his, his, if I could take the lead on that before oh, Mark definitely. starts on launching on definitely. it. Um, he really taught me how to think. I mean, I knew how to memorize when I got to college, but he was a professor who taught me how to analyze and to think. And uh, he covered uh, a variety of, of basically um, uh, civilization types. And um, he he analyzes a civilization according to six levels, and you'll see those in the game in a variety of ways. At root is uh, military for security. Then there's economic, political, social, intellectual, and religious. Mm-hmm. So you have those six levels that you analyze the civilization by. And um, uh, our game, though, is is almost at a higher, more generic level than that. Um, mm-hmm. One of the books he had us read right on was Ruth Benedict's, uh, um, um, okay, I'm having a senior moment. Um, uh, but out of that book uh, comes a definition of civilization, that is culture plus cities. And culture is nothing but shared patterns of beliefs, actions, rituals, and things like that. So, Excuse me, um, patterns of culture. Yeah, patterns of culture. That's the name of the book. And anyway, um, so that's sort of what got me thinking about it. But of course, it's been too many years since I graduated playing all these games and developing more information. And, and I just decided, um, having retired, that maybe I'll just go, go ahead and you know design this game. So I started it out. And then, as I said, I got to a certain point. I said, here, Mark, do something with it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll second about Quigley because uh, Kara Quigley uh, used to teach an introductory course to 300 students in a full back room. And Quigley had taught all of the American army officers who went overseas in World War II to be, take over the administration of conquered areas. Oh, wow. And he was an advisor, he, he was advisor to, the Ken, to, to Kennedy. 
But he, his period that he loved the most um, was the ancient world. And again, like Ruth Benedict's book, but he was, a, but I still remember the lecture. I mean, Chris, remember back, Franklin Delano Pericles. <laughs> 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 you, you remember that, Chris? You remember that? that uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, so he, and he, I mean, Quigley was an extremely opinionated uh, professor. But I, in addition to the big 300 uh, student course, I took him for three more courses. I used my, all my electives to take Quigley courses, seminars, et cetera. He did a magnificent one on the history of warfare that centered on the ancient era and then both went out from it. But literally half the class was Thucydides and Herodotus. Um, the man was a brilliant ancient scholar. And he just, I mean, as a kid, I mean, I love, you know, I mean, Homer. And, and I mean, the, if there's a novel on Troy or a book on Troy, I still buy them and read them. Um, <laughs> no, seriously, I, I have a My shelf of nothing but Trojan war right novels. Now, a very knowing look. <laughs> you know, I mean, I just read a book a couple of months ago about based on Bryce's as the main character, which is the, 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 the Trojan priestess that uh, Achilles captures and Agamemnon steals. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. I mean, you know, I, I read another novel uh, from Patroclus's point of view. I mean, just, you know, just amazing. You know, the war that killed the, the the war that killed Achilles. You know, I mean, other books, all kinds of cool books. You know, um, but uh, so you know, Chris and I go way back in terms of that with Quigley, but also we we, we played Avon Hill Civilization. I I have I never I have never beaten Chris in a game of Civ. We played with two, four, six guys, like you know local group of guys mm-hmm. chris always got that game or as people used to say in in, in our in our older days they grokked it yep. he understood it he figured it out me yeah well you know as, as, as you know fred will tell you i'll play a game with fred and i won't play to win i'll play to do something i want to do mm-hmm. and, and fred will say that's stupid you're, you're gonna lose the game i said i don't care i'm gonna kill wellington <laughs> yeah <laughs> You did kill Wellington. Go ahead. Well, but I'm just the, your point. That was a game of Wellington we played while we were designing and developing it. And you're indeed correct, Mark. You, you had your heart set and you t- turned your sights on killing Wellington himself. You didn't succeed, but you lost the rest of Spain. <laughs> but, see, but, see, but see, I didn't lose the game because I killed Wellington. I lost the game. <laughs> But I did what I wanted to do, you know, and like with the, Fred was up here last year, we were playing a game of action civilization and Fred, well, he pissed me off. Uh, and he did, he, we he was Rome. I was Carthage and he took Sardinia back from me. And I said, I want Sardinia back. He says, no, no, it's mine. Well, now we're going to turn on the leader. I said, no, I want Sardinia back. <laughs> and for the rest of the game, I fought for Sardinia. <laughs> I didn't fight to win the game. I fought just to make sure I had freaking Sardinia. <laughs> <laughs> And and if I can butt in, that's actually one of the wellsprings of ACIS, and that is we wanted it to be a social game. Mm-hmm. Now, there's some, lots of interaction, and that's why the card play is really, we think, at the heart of the game. Um, there are perhaps some people who don't care for that kind of game, but it, it makes the game. I mean, you just have the back and forth, and, well, you did that to me, and I did this to you, and, well, anyway, it, it's... Uh, I guess some people say you shouldn't play it with your friends, but on the other hand, it depends upon what kind of friends you have, I suppose, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Same thing. Unlike be- so, diplomacy. So, so, if you, 
if you if you play diplomacy, you never play it with your friends because it breaks up friendships. I, I play diplomacy once a year at a convention with people I don't know. Um, whereas Junta, something like Junta, where you the whole game is a backstab from the start out, you know it's us played. Then you just sit there and throw fun, make funny jokes at each other. And ancient civilization is the same way. Like if you want, if you follow some of the threads on people, they keep saying this is a take that game. You know, like take that, you know, um, take that, Bob. You know, and one guy's even called it ancient a holes of the of the inner sea. Um, <laughs> and that has, and I, t- but he meant it lovingly, and I have taken that as a compliment. And I said, if you think ancient a holes of the inner sea is good, where do you get to ancient a holes of the Middle East? <laughs> <laughs> Which is our next game, which Fred has, you know, already has. He's been playing. He's been play testing it for two months. Oh, wow! Because uh, Chris and I, yeah, Chris and I designed the the next in the series, which is a standalone game. It uses the same mechanics, but it's a it's a different scale of the map. It's centered on the fertile crescent, the Nile Valley, and Anatolia, and it's got terrain as opposed to just uh, areas. So you have mountain areas where if you, you control it, you get little stronghold cubes. You have the fertile crescent where even if you have a city, you still make people. And instead of wonders, okay, Chris, tell them what we've done instead of wonders of the world in ancient. Uh, well, instead of wonders, we've got deities. Uh, so you can build your favorite deity and then you try to capture other people's deities, which is historically what they did. Yeah. And, you know, drag their statues back to your own temple so that their gods can serve your God. So deities have replaced the world wonders. And we have 16, we have 16 civilizations, one of them being, you know, Fred's people. <laughs> and they have a let my people go card. <laughs> and every one of the 110 cards on the next thing has a, has an appropriate quote from the Bible. Oh, wow. I spent, I spent, I spent two weeks doing nothing really solid, nothing but looking up, looking up biblical quotes. You know, so, uh, yeah. Well, you only had to spend two weeks doing that because you hadn't read the Bible quite as often as you've read the Iliad, perhaps. This is true. Um, <laughs> but I, I like the Old Testament because it's more, I mean, God 1.0 is, is kind of mean and nasty, but he's a much better, he's a much better read. Um, <laughs> you know. And I mean, I mean, if you look at the, at the at the stuff Chris came up with for the for the first one, I mean, this is his game is a, Chris is a, it was again Chris was the driving force in this game, and a lot of it centered on a book we both read about eleven was eleven seventy three B C. Well, that was um, the other book, yeah, eleven seventy seven B C or something like that. Yeah, which is where literally it, it's all hell did break loose in the twelfth century B C. That the, the tectonic. Uh, the- the year civilization collapsed or something like yes. that? Yeah. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. I've seen yeah. the, the I mean, YouTube presentation from the author of the book. I haven't had a chance to tackle the book itself. Well, the YouTube it's presentation. It's a wonderful book. Well, yeah, it's a great book. Because as he explains, the tectonic plates across the Mediterranean from west to east literally unzipped in the 50-year period. Wow. As they unzipped, as they unzipped, you got earthquakes, floods, volcanoes, tsunamis, ash clouds, climate change, um, you know, famine, war, pestilence, death. Uh, and not, not to mention those mysterious people, the, the sea peoples. Right. Oh, our favorites. I have so many books on the sea peoples. Uh, one of them says they came from space. Uh, that's seriously, I have one from, <laughs> from 19, 1977. This guy who looks, you look at his picture and you say, yeah, he would think that. Um, <laughs> 
But you know, we have Chris and I have both read a lot of scholarly works that say this is where we think they came from. This is their evidence. Nobody's a hundred percent certain, but a lot of people have kind of pegged it down to you know these are real. These aren't one people. These are a lot of people. So I see it's a mass movement all across the Mediterranean. Um, it's it's because it's been driven by everything. Every, because the whole world's collapsing. It's it's like uh, Mad Max with chariots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this is, uh, that, that's a chaotic situation that the players of the game have to cope, cope with and contend with successfully. Uh, I know there are some people who relish that and enjoy it. Other people really dislike it. But that was the historical reality, as Chris and Mark just said. And to get back to uh, the point you made about uh, people not playing, not liking diplomacy, I have uh, the playtest group here in uh, Charlotte where I live. They won't play diplomacy with each other because of the reasons I think uh, you don't want to play diplomacy with your friends. This game, however, they are thoroughly enjoying. It is a take-back game. Uh, when I was in Arizona, Mark, as uh, at the CSW Expo, and uh, Mark Herman was kind enough to join it along with uh, uh, some of the Billingsleys, and uh, he loved it. He loved it. I think when Mark called it, he said, this is a game with the greatest screwage factor, S-C-R-E-W-A-G-E, and he said his buddies in New York would really, really like it. And uh, again, that's an element of the game that uh, some people really, really like. Other people who want to have more control, I guess, uh, find that objectionable and they'll enjoy the game. So not all games are for everyone. Right. But uh, I'll be honest with what Chris and Mark have done. They've designed a game based upon their perceptions of the history. And it is what it is. I, I have to say, I was really impressed by the Sea People's Invade. I like all of the sort of invasion cards in the Fate deck. <laughs> it's, it, it really yep. turns turns things on their head. Um, and having having that as part of an element of play is one of the things that I really appreciate. Mm-hmm. Well, well, Chris can take credit for that in two ways, not only because of what they are, but Chris and I are old civilization players, mm-hmm. and we, you, and as you know, if I'm playing civilization or advanced civilization, once somebody gets in the lead, it's almost impossible to stop them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, with with this, with this game, the guy who's in last place gets to play those. So when the four big nasty invasions come, the guy in last place decides where they go. Yeah. So if it says southern 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 raiders. Well, if he doesn't like the Egyptians or the Carthaginians or the Mauritanians, bam. Northern hordes, look out Rome, look out Gaul, look out Troy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the sea people, of course, anywhere there's water and half the map is water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, okay, boys, hit the beach. <laughs> the, the, the other, that, that leads into another topic. The other aspect of this, the Avalon Hills Civilization game, which was wonderful, was um, all the... T- Technology cards. I, I never played the advanced version of it, uh, yeah. but I was frustrated because you could a get yourself into a technology sinkhole, right. and b there were never enough cards for everyone. Yep. Yeah. Now my reading of ancient history is that okay, a civilization would have an edge for a while, but you know that while didn't last that very long uh, when you think about civilizations, mm-hmm. and so that's why we don't have that kind of a technology tree. They're embedded in the cards to give a, a one-turn advantage uh, to a civilization that uses a card, for example. That's our logic behind yeah, the lack of a technology tree, and, and the reality of a technological edge didn't last that long. That's a really great mechanic, too. 
Um, and, and, and it helps provoke a discussion of that, that aspect of history. Um, so, yeah, like I'll, I'll, I throw a chariots. I, I see your chariots and, and I'll top it with an armored infantry. Oh, I got siege weapons. I got a general. I got a traitor. You're all dead. <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing is that uh, Chris, um, really, I mean, if you remember, Chris and I both said we're, we're civilization gamers, both the board game and the, and the, and the computer games. Mm-hmm. And often Chris and I will sit down at the same time on the computer and we'll share control of one, of one nation just because it's kind of fun. Um, every one of the civilizations is different. They each have a character. Uh, like a, if you would think of it as a Dungeons and Dragons, well, you've got your bards, you've got your fighters, you've got your priests, you've got your traders, right. you've got your magicians. And each of these you know, civilizations, like the Carthaginians, they have, they, do, they have three special things. They get to put one extra disc out in any one naval battle. Because that's their fleet. They get one extra disc in any one land battle. Think of that as elephants or Hannibal or Hamilcar. And they get one extra disc if you attack Carthage. It's mm-hmm. the walls of the famous walls of Carthage. Uh, the same with the Trojans. As long as, as long as the Trojans have a city in Troy, you can't really take the place you know, by car plight. You've got to go out there and, 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 kill, and kill the guys and lay siege for 10 years and, get a, and build a big wooden horse. <laughs> um, you know. Um, if my, my favorite, I think one of my favorites is, 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 was Chris came up, Chris worked, I say, he knows more about Naval than like, and I, I mean, I know a lot about Naval, but nothing compared to him. He came up with the idea of making two Naval powers, mm-hmm. the Minoans and the Phoenicians. And I'll let Chris talk about that. Well, Minoa was one of my favorite civilizations based on, it was one of Quigley's too. So, um, yeah. that was always a favorite. So we had to have Minoa in there and, uh, their strength was uh, theoretically their Navy, though no one's really quite sure what it looked like or how it operated. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, the Phoenicians were the traders. After all, they were the founders of Carthage in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, they both had to have naval capabilities, but they're slightly different. Uh, Manila gets victory points for having control of sea zones. Phoenicia gets them for just being there. And, uh, yeah, it's the trading aspect uh, of the Phoenicians. Uh, also, uh, I think, Mark, you may have had the idea to give the Phoenicians the alphabet. Yeah. And that allows them to draw an extra card each turn uh, or something like that. So, well, they get to anyway. draw two cards and can pick. Uh, they get to draw right. two bonus cards and pick one okay, uh, right. because of the alphabet. But also, if you think of it, I always think of the Phoenicians kind of like the Bene Gesserit from Dune. <laughs> they just show up and hang out and, and, yeah. and they get points for being, for, for being there. You know, whereas the yeah. Minoans are like, that's a Mycie. <laughs> and yeah, now, I'm like, the Minoans, unlike most of the game, competition, we, we, we don't call it war, we call it competition because it's mm-hmm. a whole bunch of things besides just combat. Oh, well, hell, it's a war game. It's a battle. But it's still competition in many other ways. The Minoans are one, you can share, uh, if everybody has one disc in, a, in an area, you're all happy, gentle, sweet, and loving, and kissing each other, and, and trading, and giving each other flowers. As soon as, uh, as the second guy shows up there, he murders the rest. And the Minoans are the only, the only civilizations that can actually start a war, even after everything else looks peaceful. Um, so uh, it's just like you, everything's peaceful, everything's on the table, you get the competition phase, no one's say, nah, we're starting a war. And the, and the Minoan <laughs> Navy shows up and sinks everybody else. It's like the, it's like the Bismarck walking into a gaggle of ducks. <laughs> um, you know, um, and the Romans are the same way in the fourth epic. There's four epics in the game. The Romans start out as a republic, so most of their extra military stuff is defensive. But if they go to the fourth epic, they get to do the same that on land. Um, 
and everybody else is a mix of things. Uh, some have a usually a, like the Egyptians. Well, they they're the fertile valleys. They grow people. The uh, the Celts, you know, have some people, but they also have the mines. The Mauritanians, they get trades from the salt mines, so they've got and they get their like cavalry. Um, in, in the the Trojans have the walls. The Mycenaeans, well, the Mycenaeans, they get no benefits in anything peaceful. Uh, they get benefits in military, and they get double benefits when they loot places because I got Agamemnon. The Homeric you know? hero's ability—that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, and then the wealthy warriors, wealthy warriors of Gaul. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's not, it's not, it's not, when, the, when, the, when the Gauls go into battle, they get they get more people. Go say, hey, hey, it's a war. Everybody comes. Um, <laughs> You know, so, uh, but yeah, and then we've, and like I said, now for the for the, the next game, the, the Middle East, and we've got 16 civilizations. We've got Hittites, we've got the Mitanni, we've got Dravidians, which are out in India, we've got the Sumerians and the Scythians coming from the north. We've got, um, you know, the sea, the, the sea peoples again, hello. Uh, we got, we have these, you know, we have the Israel, the, the, the people of Israel for one, ep, for one epic they can stay start in. Uh, we have, you know, the uh, the Syrians, which are basically the Nazis of the of the, of the ancient world. Uh, <laughs> well, they are. If, if you read, I got another shelf just of Assyrian history. You read what the guys. This is what Chris was saying about, you know, we'll take your God and we'll bring him home. Mm-hmm. The kings of Assyria, they they have steles, which are big like blocks, stone blocks, all over the Middle East, saying, "I came here, I tore their city down, I spit their children on pikes, I took their gods home and laid them in a the line." You know, you know, and I mean, these are guys who would, you know, after battle, they'd say to the guys, "Okay, I want you to cut off their their twenty first digit, not the five on the hand, on, the, on the left hand, not the five on the right hand, not the five on the right foot, not the five on the left foot, that that one other one, yeah, and we'll bring them home, wow. you know, as a collection." <laughs> and then we'll wear them. Um, wow. You know, I mean, the whole thing about, you know, the, the Conan thing about, you know, the lamentation of the, you know, your enemies, aha, that's, a, that's the Assyrians. And Chris has come up with a cool thing in ancient, in the, in the, in the next game for the, those guys. The thing about the captives, Chris? Yeah, uh, one of the uh, historical factors in the Middle East was a shortage of labor all the time. And uh, I think we have it that uh, you can choose to take uh, growth tiles instead of loot, but the Assyrians have to take growth tiles as captives. Uh, So uh, that's just a historical trend that they were always looking for people because, of course, they had to build cities and they need slaves to do that. So Mm -hmm. anyway, it's kind of a historical factor throughout the Middle East. There was a shortage of labor. Um, So anyway. Yes, as as you say, Chris and I are still reading books on this. You know, I and mean, we haven't stopped. And Chris is well. There's no end to them. He's no end. Of them. Yeah, well, thank God. Um, you know, <laughs> or thank Homer. Or, you know, um, and then Chris also has is has sort of started thinking about the next two in the series. We're we're, we're thinking of doing four. Um, and uh, yeah, Chris, you want to say something about that? Well, I started reading ancient civilizations of the Far East, and haven't quite figured out if we're going to make it ancient civilizations of China or include Korea, Japan, Southeast Asia, and Central Asia, that still remains to be seen. Uh, it goes back to a game that, I don't know, Mark, you must have played too, Emperor of China. It's I mean, still a little, on my desk. It's still on my shelf. Yeah, yeah it, it's a, 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 a real social game. It's not a, it's not a serious you know, strategy game per se, but it's just a hell of a lot of fun, actually. And yeah. so that's sort of, you know, the mandate of heaven ends the game, 
And so I haven't quite figured out how this game should go in that regard. Uh, there's so many different factors to consider, but I'm thinking about it. Then yeah, the I other game I, is yeah. – go ahead. Go ahead. I'll go. The, then there's ancient civilizations of the New World, which would be you know the, the tribes throughout North and South America. And in this game, the invaders won't necessarily be black tiles, but they're going to be the Europeans coming in. And we'll see how that plays out. But that's just a concept. Don't know where that's going to go. Now, now speaking to the, 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 those two, the, the ancient civilizations of the Far East, I had said to my daughter, oh, I think I'm going to give ancient civilizations of the Orient, and she got an all-PC on me. Ah, oh, um, yeah. You know, um, she says, no, 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 no. They're not Orientals anymore. I said, no, 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 no. They're, they're Asians or, you know, something else. And, and then I tried to tell them to my – I have a very good friend who's an elder in the, in, the, in the Mormon church here in this part of the, of the state. A great guy, Bill Green, while we play games. I play with him, you know, Saturday. Um, and I told him about the one about the Americas. He says, well, would you have the, the so-and-so in there? I said, who are they? He says, you know, the ancient uh, peoples that are in the, in the Book of Mormon. Because according to the Book of Mormon, in the, era, in, B, in the B.C. era, there were these other great uh, empires up in the Midwest and we're not talking about the, the mound people. We're talking about some other names that sound like something out of L. Ron Hubbard. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I said to him, you know what? I'll tell you what. If you give me the information, I will work up a scenario uh, in the back of the playbook that says a what-if scenario like this is, what the, this, this is a Book of Mormon uh, scenario uh, from their book. And I may be the only person in history who's ever done a has a war game with the Mormons in it. You know, uh, <laughs> cool. And you know, and you know, but you know what? Why not? It's a yeah. who knows? I mean, the, the the Hittites were a lost civilization for two thousand years. They thought they were a rumor, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden they found stuff. Who knows? Well, that was true. Also, there? that that was true also for the Sumerians. I mean, yeah, uh, we really only know about learned about the Sumerians not all that long ago. In the 20th century, really. So, and yeah. Troy itself, for that matter, until Schliemann went and dug it up where Homer said it was. <laughs> yeah, right, you have right. to fight in the process. <laughs> yeah. Well, Schliemann was the P.T. Barnum of, of, of his day. You know, um, he, he knew he was a showman. And he, like when he dressed up his wife in the gold and said, this uh-huh. is you know, Helen's, Helen's crown, you know, uh, he knew what he was doing. You know, although he, he, every um, archaeologist since hates the man. Because of the way he did things, he just like bulldozes, no, not with a bulldozer, but, but just went through stuff you know, with willy-nilly as opposed to a systematic thing. Like if you look at Michael Woods, his book and his movie, uh, uh, In the Footsteps of the Trojan War, yeah. um, and in, in the Footsteps of Alexander, uh, you look at the, you see the richness of that. And that's, you know, 30 years ago. And since then, so much more has come to light. Mm-hmm. So who knows? And who knows what's out there? Um, but they won't be a main civilization. They'll be a, a scenario thing like that, you know. Um, yeah, you know. And I'll, and Chris, by the way, yesterday sent me um, the starting work on the expansion set for ancient civilizations of the inner sea. Um, I'll let Chris tell you about that. Well, it's um, when we originally designed um, Asus, uh, we actually had it going to about 1500 AD or current era, if you will. Okay. And um, we then scaled back to 500 AD, which would basically be the fall of Rome. So this next, this add-on module, I don't know how it's going to work out, will cover from about 500 AD to about 1500 AD. And it covers basically from the Arab Jihad 
to basically the expulsion of the Moors from Spain. So you have the Arab Jihad for the first epic of four turns, covers 500 to 1000 AD. And then from 1000 AD to 1500 AD, you have uh, what you might call the crusade or the Christendom counterattack. Of mm-hmm. course, during that time, Constantinople falls. So, I mean, it, it works both ways. But right. uh, we're, uh, we're working on it. Uh, it's going it. to be one of three things. The, the most ambitious, and which we hope, and, and, and Billingsley is open to this, is to actually make an expansion module where there would be um, civiliz- different civilization cards to replace at least some of those in the deck. Uh, yeah, I figured was, out we need to replace probably at least 25 of them. Yeah, I mean, you don't want you don't want biblical stuff happening in one th- in, in one thousand A.D. You don't want chariots showing up in, in the Crusades. Right. So it, would, it would swap those out, um, and also allow us to put some other things in there, and it would have civilization cards for the Arabs, for the Byzantines, for the the Spanish, etc., the 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 Venetians. Uh, that's the if that's the that's the dream. The next step down, if it would be, and I've already talked to Roger McGowan about this, is doing it as something for his magazine, C3I, where we'd have more limited components. But uh, that's also a possibility. Um, and worst comes to worst, you know, we'll just do it as an article. But I, th- <laughs> but uh, Gene Billingsley has been very supportive of this thing from the first moment he saw it, uh, because he said, you know, the GMT has a great reputation among the the, the, the hardcore war gamers. Mm-hmm. But he also is a businessman, and he's a family man, and he's a, a, he does all kinds of gamers. So he has worked very hard, as a, the rest of the guys GMT, to branch out into some crossover games, uh, whether it's Dominant Species, whether it's Thunder Alley, whether it's, you know, you know a whole bunch of them, right? And he sees this as a, a way um, to, to branch out, to reach other people. Um, and, like, one of the guys who are one of our lead playtesters is a guy, he's, a, he's, a, he's from Finland. He's a, a professor at a German university. And he's a um, he and his group of guys. They're war, have, half of them are war gamers and half of them are euro gamers, especially the ones who have who have, who have wives. Yes, gamers do have wives. Uh, <laughs> you know, and uh, that he says it's very different because because that group will play it as a euro game where they're just playing to work to build things up among themselves. The bad cards come in, sure they throw them around, but they mostly do what what was it quickly called an intensive expansion. Intensification, yeah. Yeah, where you build up. Whereas Wargamers, they build out, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it's again, it's a game that you can play either way. You don't have to fight this as a war game to win it. There's going to be competitions going on, some you can't avoid, but you don't have to go bash each other if you don't want to. Or you can do nothing but, you know, go to war. Or some combination therein. Um, I mean, there have been games where I've seen one guy sit in the corner and just I'm build, 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 build. Other two guys, like say Fred and I, that game, just bash, 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 bash. bash. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, and anybody can win it that way. But yeah, we have. This is I'm, I've had 23 games published, and of all the games I've done, I'm proud of every single one of them. I'm there's no game I'm prouder of than this. Seriously, I have had more more fun. More fun designing it, more fun researching it, more fun working with Chris and Fred than I have on any game. More fun showing it off than any game I've ever done in 40 years of design. And because my first game came out in 79, this is 40 years later. I think that's a pretty natural stopping point for this week. We'll present the conclusion next week and hopefully have some play reports by then as well. So, until then, we hope you enjoyed listening to today's interview. Um, If there are 
any questions that you have, you may get them answered on next week's uh, segment. But if there's things even after then that you would like to hear about, or if there are other um, game designers you'd like for us to contact and see if we can get an interview with, um, please write to us at playedpod at gmail.com. You can also find us and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at playedpod. Please tell us your thoughts, and until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. Bye. Again, from the top. Once more, with feeling. (laughs) This has got to be the most restarts we've ever done. Same thing, only better. (laughs) Faster and more intense. (laughs) Slower and more languid. Do you want a separate track? Or do you just want to slice and dice it later? Okay. Yep. I am an editor. So...